Welcome back to the Hemingway List podcast for the last chapter of the book. Well, sorry, <laughs> not the last chapter of the book, the last chapter of book one, which is one sixteenth of the book. Hey, congratulations, we're nearly finished one sixteenth of War and Peace. Um, <clears throat> talking about book one, chapter 24, though, first, before we do that, what do you make of the juxtaposition that is expressed in the descriptions of Nikolai Bolkonsky. He said to have a stern look and laughed dryly, coldly, unpleasantly, as he always laughed, only with his mouth but not his eyes. But at the same time, he's one of the only two people that Prince Andre seems to be comfortable around, and Princess Maya says of him he's so kind. Also, Prince Nikolai seems to have much of a fondness for women and often seems to disregard... Sorry, does not have much of a fondness for women... It often seems to disregard their input. How do you see this attitude towards women in Prince Andre's character as well? Uh, not specifically in this section. You know, I suppose we kind of do see a bit of that in Andre, at least with his wife. We do. We see that he's not happily married. He feels a bit trapped in that one. Um, Brian E. Denton said, Just dropping in today to say that this is one of the funniest chapters in the novel. Every year it makes me laugh. Poor Mikhail... Ivanovich, a great tactician, though. Angel of the Dawn said, I love how Tikon caught the throne plate, too, like it happens all the time. Yeah, it was kind of funny how um, old man Volkonsky has this guy, this architect, Michael Ivanovich, there just to sort of bounce what he wants to say off this guy and make him agree with him. And this guy is just kind of like, oh, whatever. <laughs> like, I'm just happy to be here. Um, that is quite funny. It's a bit of a sleeper, though. Like, it's not... It's a funny chapter, but it's also... It can slip right by you without sort of recognising that there's quite a lot of, a lot of humour in there. Twisted Every Way said, Not much action in this chapter. We can obviously see where Andre gets his disdain for women and the topics they like to discuss. I'm guessing Mary and Andrew's mother has passed. They both could have used a more motherly influence in their lives. That was rather cruel remark by Nicolai to Lisa about her pregnancy and rather rude, cutting off mid-sentence to talk war. Mary seems to hold her father in such high esteem. He is kind, yet also intimidating to the point she can't concentrate on geometry with him. I agree with others here that Lisa is not going to enjoy her time in the country. Waiting for Leah said, How did you interpret this line? You've been in a hurry, that's bad. Was he alluding that she got pregnant before the wedding, or simply that they should have waited a bit more? Um, my, I, you know what I thought it was just more like that she was um, like heavily pregnant. Was what he was saying, like you know, um, it won't be long now before you're ready to give birth. I think that's what he's saying. Like it's you're in a hurry, meaning like oh you're nearly there. And then, because he immediately says that she has to do lots of walking. So I think he's saying, you know, I think that's what they say to heavily pregnant women, isn't it? Do lots of walking to try to um, move things along. I'm not sure. Um, Warren Gavoffi also said, this Prince Nikolai getting into a rage and throwing his plate with Tikon catching it was a definite highlight. Also, Mikhail Ivanovich being the yes man when he's just trying to enjoy that roast. 
Two parts of this chapter confused me a little, though. One, why was Andre shaking his head over the family tree and portrait? I thought that he might be embarrassed that his father, whom he seemed to have a lot of respect for, could be wrapped up in the image of the Bolkonsky family and its nobility. Andre seems to have some distaste for high society from the discussions with Pierre. So that leads me to think along these lines, but I'm wondering if I'm missing something. I think he was more laughing at the portrait. It seems that his father, old Nikolai Bolkonsky, has tried to draw a portrait of someone and sucked at it. And Andre is kind of joking about the family artist and how much he sucks at it. Number two, I'm getting mixed up with armchair General Bolkonsky's ramblings about Russian military history. What's the deal with Moreau? They fought him in previous wars, correct? But then they want to invite him to join the Russian army later on. But the Palin turned around... So, with news of the war ending in 1805, up to this point, had Russia already fought in a war with Napoleon? Also, what did this line from Prince Nikolai mean? What were the Potemkins, the Suvorovs, and the Orlovs, Germans? Is he just trying to say they were great military minds because they weren't German? Uh, Yes, I think you're correct. I think he's just got this contempt for Germans, which seems to carry through to a lot of people in this book, even though they're allies. Suvorov, says Corsho, Suvorov fought against the French Republic's army, led by Moreau, in 1799, just before Napoleon took power. Then, as Nimex said, Moreau had a falling out with Napoleon and emigrated to the US. Um, Palin turned around with the news of the war ending in 1805. Yes, but this hadn't happened yet at this point. So I think the old man is just trying to say that their past generals and war heroes were better than Napoleon. Nimek said, This is my first time reading War and Peace, so I'm not sure of the timeline, but I believe at this point Europe is gearing up towards the war of the Fourth Coalition, 1806-07. Moreau had served as a French general but retired in 1800. He was banished by Napoleon for anti-Napoleon sentiment and went to the U.S., in this, If this is the war of the Fourth Coalition, I wonder how time will pass in the book as the invasion of Russia took place five years later in 1812. Maloum J5 said, I want to start, but it seems like I would not catch up with you. Ah, well, you should start, or alternatively, you can just binge through the podcast to catch up. Oftentimes, people will use the podcast as just a way to catch up to the current day and then read from there. Although you won't have heard this if you don't, so that's kind of a pointless thing to say. Zukov17 said, Audrey and his father, uh, his father isn't having any of Audrey's nonsense that Napoleon should be respected as a general. Line, Andre thinking about his family. Prince Andrew, looking again at the genealogical tree, shook his head, laughing as a man laughs who looks at a portrait so characteristic of the original as to be amusing. Briggs, Prince Andre shook his head as he looked at the family tree and laughed as you would at an unintended caricature. P and V said, Prince Andre looked at this genealogical tree, shaking his head and chuckling with the air of someone looking at a portrait that is a ridiculously good likeness. Andre's father is still the man, but it feels like Andre is the main attraction now. He doesn't steal the limelight, but does just enough to let everyone know what's up. This has been going on with fathers and sons since the dawn of time and is a key part of Tolstoy's reflections on family. All right, let's keep reading. There's a lot more comments today. 
Um, oh wait, I'll read one more because this is cool. B Benekas Benekas B N E C A S Benekas says this. I got a copy yesterday and have caught up today. Glad to be on this journey with you all. I've been reading your threads between chapters over the last day. Looking forward to participating. Awesome. Well done. Catching up in one day. That's a pretty good effort. This chapter was great. The atmosphere at Tolstoy was able to conjure up was great. The tension that was built when Nikolai entered the room was really effective. The young princess experienced the feeling courtiers experienced at the entrance of the Tsar. I'm really drawn in by this kind of writing. When the tension was cut with their conversation, it really gave some insight into Andre's attitude in earlier chapters. It makes me appreciate Andre a little more. His father has a very commanding presence, and Andre can almost but not completely be forgiven for the influence he's obviously had over him. Awesome. Hey, Benikas, welcome to the Daily Conversations. We look forward to hearing from you every single day forever. All right, let's read the next chapter. The last one in book one. Chapter 28 or 26, if you're not reading. 25, sorry, if you're not reading more. Prince Andre was to leave the next evening. The old prince, as always, stuck to his routine, retiring after dinner. The little princess was in her sister's-in-law's room. Prince Andre, in a travelling coat without epaulets, had been packing his stuff with his valet in the rooms assigned to him. He did a quick inspection of the carriage, saw that his trunks had been loaded in, then ordered the horses to be harnessed. Only a few things hadn't been loaded in yet. The things he always kept with him, a small box, a large silver-plated canteen, two Turkish pistols and a sabre, which had been a prezi from his old man who had brought it back from the siege of Ochakov. All these things were in pristine condition, new, clean, and in cloth covers carefully bound with tape. It's times like these, when starting a life-changing journey, that any man with half a brain will be in an introspective frame of mind. They'll be reviewing the past and planning the future. Prince Andre, with a tender and distant expression, was doing some real thinking. He paced back and forth, hands behind him from corner to corner of the room, staring forward, shaking his head. Was it fear he felt about going to war, or sadness that he was leaving his pregnant wife? Could have been both. But either way, he evidently didn't want anyone seeing him in this mood because when he heard footsteps in the passage, he quickly unclasped his hands, bolted to the little box on the table and began twiddling the tape on its cover as if he had just finished tying it. His face was rearranged to its usual blank, tranquil look. It was his sister's heavy footsteps he could hear. Did you tell them to harness the horses? she cried, panting. She'd apparently been running. I wanted to have another talk with you alone. God knows how long we'll be apart. You're not mad at me for coming. You've changed so much, Andrusha, she added, as if explaining why she asked the question. Saying his pet name, Andrusha, brought a smile to her face. It was still weird that, to her that this stern, handsome fellow, doing some of the most serious twiddling she had ever seen, was Andrusha, the skinny little brat who had been her playmate when they were kids. And where is Lisa? he asked, answering her question only with his smile. Oh, she was zonked, fell asleep on the sofa in my room. Oh, Andre, she's a gem, your wife, said she, sitting down on the sofa facing her brother. She's a real gem, such a happy kid. I actually really like her. Prince Andre said nothing, but the princess was saw his ironical and contemptuous expression. Oh, Andre, everyone has their little weaknesses. Who doesn't? Don't forget that she grew up and was educated in societies, and so this must be pretty sucky for her. Put yourself in her shoes. To comprendre, c'est tout pardonner. To understand all is to forgive all. 
Poor thing, imagine her point of view after being used to such a way of life to be left alone in the country without her hubby and in her condition. It must suck pretty bad for her. Prince Andre smiled at his sister as we smile at someone we think we thoroughly understand. You live here in the country. Doesn't seem too terrible, he replied. I... that's different. There's no point comparing us. I like it here. This is the only life I know, and I like it. But think, Andre, she's a young society woman, and she's been dumped out here in the country in the prime of her life, alone. I mean, Papa is always busy, and I... well, you know, I won't be able to keep her entertained long. There is only Mademoiselle Boreen. I don't like your Mademoiselle Boreen one bit, said Prince Andre. Really? She's all right, very kind, and I kind of pity her. She has no one, no one at all. Honestly, I don't need her help. She gets in the way more than anything. You know, I was, was, I was always a loner, now even more so. I like being left to myself, but Father likes her a lot, and Michael Ivanovich, he's always so kind and gentle to those two, because he's been a benefactor to them both. As Stern says, we don't love people so much for the good they have done us as for the good we have done them. She was homeless when Father took her in. She'd just lost her own father. She's good-natured, and Father likes how she reads to him. She reads to him every evening. She's actually very good at it. You know what I reckon, Mary? I reckon how old man's a real pain in the ass to live with, isn't he? I bet he is, Prince Andre asked suddenly. This question took Princess Mary by surprise. A pain in the ass to me, she said, disgusted that her brother would suggest such a thing. He's always been a strict bastard, and now I think he's getting a bit over the top with it, said Prince Andre, apparently speaking unkindly of their father in order to puzzle or test his sister. You, you're a top bloke, Andre, in every way, but you are rather full of yourself, said the princess, following the flow of her thought, own thoughts rather than the conversation. And that's a great sin. How can anyone judge father? And even if they do, what feeling could our father evoke in someone other than respect? I'm actually happy living here with him. I only wish you were all as happy as I am. Her brother shook his head incredulously. The only thing that bothers me about him, if I am totally honest with you, Andre, is his attitude towards religion. I don't understand how he can be so smart, but still fail to see what is as clear as day and go so far astray. But that's the only thing that bothers me, and even that, I think he's getting better lately about it. He has been slightly less sarcastic when mocking religious ideas recently, and the other day he had a monk over, and they talked for ages. Ah, oh, my dear, I'm afraid you and your monk buddy are wasting your powder, said Prince Andre, playfully yet kindly. Ah, mon ami, I can only hope God hears my prayers. Andre, she said sheepishly after a moment's silence, can I ask you a favour? Depends what it is, my dear. No, promise me you'll do it. It won't be any bother to you, and it's nothing you won't like, but it will make me feel much better. Promise, Andrusha, said she, slipping a hand into her reticule, but not extracting the thing inside, as if Prince Andre was not allowed to see what she held until he agreed to the favour. She looked timidly at her brother. Even if it were a huge thing, answered Prince Andre, as if guessing what she was asking. Think whatever you want. I know you're just like father. Think whatever you want, but do this for me, please. Our grandfather, father's father, wore this in all his wars. She still kept the thing concealed in her reticule. So you promise? Of course. What is it? Andre, I bless you with this icon. Promise me you'll never take it off. Do you promise? 
so long as it doesn't weigh a hundred weight and break my neck, if it makes you happy, said Prince Andre. But he saw the pained expression his joke had caused in his sister and quickly made amends. I'm happy to wear it. I want to, really, I want to. Even if you don't want it, he will save you and have mercy on you and bring you to himself, for in him alone is truth and peace, said she quietly, her voice quivering with emotion. Solemnly she held up before her a small oval antique dark-faced icon of the saviour in a gold setting on a finely wrought silver chain. She crossed herself, kissed the icon and gave it to Andre. Please, Andre, wear it for me. Her timid eyes glimmered with gentle light. Those eyes lit up her whole face, making the sickly pale thing turn beautiful-ish. Her brother went to take the icon from her, but she stopped him. Andre knew what was up. He crossed himself and kissed the icon. He looked at her lovingly and was touched by her care, but still there was a hint of irony on his face. Thank you, my dear. She kissed him on the forehead and sat down again on the sofa. They were silent for a bit. As I was saying to you, Andre, be nice, be generous, like you've always been. Cut Lisa some slack, she began. She is a sweetheart, and her situation right now is a hard one. Why are you saying all this to me, Lisa, Masha? It's not as if I've complained about her or blamed her. Princess Mary blushed and went silent, looking guilty. Ah, I see it wasn't me who complained. Well, sorry for that, he went on. Princess Mary blushed more, and now in her forehead, neck and cheeks, she tried to speak but couldn't. Her brother had got it in one. The little princess had been crying after dinner and confessed to Princess Mary that she was dreading being cooped up at old man Bolkonsky's. She spat the dummy about her father-in-law, her husband, and her fate. Eventually she cried herself to sleep. Prince Andre felt sorry for his sister. Know this, Masha. I cannot have not and will not ever reproach my wife with anything, and I cannot reproach myself with anything either when it comes to her. That will always be how it is, no matter what. But if you want to know the truth, if you want to know whether I'm happy, no. And you know what? Neither is she. Bugger if I know why, though. Oh, I just lost my place. Bugger if I know why, though. As he said this, he got up, went to his sister, and stooped down to kiss her forehead. His fine eyes lit up with a kind of thoughtful brightness, but he was not looking at his sister, but passed her towards the darkness of the open doorway. Let's go see her. I need to say goodbye. Or you go, wake her. I'll come in a sec. Petrushka, he called to his valet, come grab these. Put this on the seat and this to the right. Princess Mary rose and went to the door, then stopped and said, Andre... If you had faith, you would have asked God to give you the love you don't have, and your prayers would have been answered. Yeah, maybe, said Prince Andrew. Go, Masha, I'll be there in a second. Heading to his sister's room in the passage, which went from one wing to another, Prince Andre ran into Mademoiselle Boreen, smiling sweetly. It was the third time that day they'd run into each other in the secluded passageways, her wearing a big, obvious smile. Ah, I thought you were in your room she said, for some reason blushing and averting her eyes. Prince Andre stared daggers at her. He said nothing. Avoiding her eyes, he looked at her forehead and hair with, with such contempt that the Frenchwoman blushed and kept moving without a word. When he got to his sister's room, his wife was awake. Her voice came happily through the open door, her words rushing one after another. She was speaking in French, as usual, and quickly, as if to make up for lost time. No, but imagine her, old Countess Zubova, with her fake teeth and fake curls, trying to cheat old age. Ha ha, Mary. Prince, Prince, 
sorry, Prince Andre had heard his wife say exactly this to other people at least five times, even the laugh at the end. He entered the room softly. The little princess, very pregnant and rosy, was sitting in an easy chair with her stitching work in her hands, incessantly repeating bits of Petersburg gossip and phrases. Prince Andre came up to her, gave her hair a stroke, and asked if she'd had a good rest. She answered and continued chin-wagging. The coach was waiting by the porch, six horses ready to go. It was an autumn night, dark as all get-out, so that the coachman couldn't even see the carriage pole. Servants with lanterns were busy mucking about in the porch. The house was looking really impressive, its lights shining through its massive windows. The domestic serfs were gathered around in the hall, waiting to do a big goodbye to the young prince. The members of the household were gathered too in the reception hall. Michael Levinovich, Mademoiselle Boreen, Princess Mary and the little princess. Prince Andre went and saw his old man in the study first, though, having been called there. Old man Bolkonsky wanted to say his goodbye in private. Everyone else was waiting for them, in, for them to come out. When Prince Andre went into the study, the old man was at his writing table, wearing his old man's specs and a white dressing gown that he usually wouldn't let people see him in, other than his son. He looked over. Heading off, he said, and he continued writing. Just came to say goodbye. Give us a kiss, here, and he touched his cheek. Tarmate, thanks. For what? You don't need to thank me. For not piss-farting around and not hanging onto a woman's apron strings. For putting the service before everything else. Thank you. And he carried on writing, his quills squeaking and spluttering. If there's anything you want to say, now's your chance. I can listen and write at the same time, he added. About my wife. I am already ashamed, leaving her with you. Don't dig about. Say what you want. When the baby's due, send to Moscow for an, an a chusha, a male midwife. Make sure he's here. Old man Bolkonsky stopped writing and shot a stern and inquiring look at his son. I know if nature doesn't want things to happen, well, no one can really help, said Prince Andre, looking confused. I know it only happens one in a million cases, but we both want to be prepared. They've been telling her things, and she had a dream, a nightmare, and she's scared. Hmm, hmm, the old man muttered. He finished what he was writing. I'll do it. He signed the page flamboyantly and suddenly, turning to his son, began to laugh. Trouble in paradise, eh? What do you mean? Your wife, said the old prince, briefly and significantly. I'm not following, said Prince Andre. It can't be helped, mate, said the prince. They're all the same. You can't unmarry. Don't worry, I won't tell anyone. At least you know it yourself. He grabbed his son by the hand with small bony fingers, shook it, looked his son in the eyes, seeming to see right through him, and again laughed his cold laugh. The son sighed, admitting defeat. His father had hit the nail on the head. The old man continued with his letter, folding it and sealing it, snatching up and throwing down the wax, the seal, the paper, with masterful speed. What can you do? She's pretty. I'll look after her. Give you peace of mind, said he in abrupt sentences while sealing the letter. Andre didn't respond. He was part pleased, part displeased that his father had understood. The old man got up and gave the letter to his son. Listen, said he, don't worry about your wife. We'll do everything we can. Now, listen, give this letter to Michael Ilarionovich, Kudasov. I've written that he shouldn't keep you as an adjutant long. That's a shitty position, but should make better use of you than that. Tell him I remember him and he's all right in my book. Write me and let me know how he receives you. If he's all right, serve him. 
No son of Nicholas Bolkonsky needs to serve under someone in disfavour. Now, come here. He spoke so quickly that half his words went unfinished, but his son spoke the language of his father and understood him. He led him to the desk, raised the lid, slid out the drawer, and took out an exercise book filled with bold, tall, close handwriting. I'll most likely die before you, so remember, these are my memoirs. Give them to the emperor after I die. Now, this is a Lombard bond and a letter. It's a premium for the man who writes a history of Suvorov's war. Send it to the academy. These here are some jottings for you to read after I'm gone. You'll find them useful. Andre did not tell his father he would no doubt live a long time yet. He felt he shouldn't say it. I'll do all of it, father, he said. Well, now, goodbye. He gave his son his hand to kiss and embraced him. Remember this, Prince Andre. If they kill you, your old man will be bloody upset. He paused unexpectedly, and then, as if already pissed off, shrieked, But if I hear that you're out there making a bad name for yourself, not living up to your father's name, I'll clip you over the bloody ear. You didn't need to say that, father, said the son with a smile. The old man was silent. Another thing I wanted to ask you, continued Prince Andre, if I am killed and I have a son, don't let him be taken away from you. As I said yesterday, I want him to grow up with you, please. Not with his mother, said the old man, and laughed. They stood silent facing one another. The old man's sharp eyes were locked on his son's. Something twitched in the old man's lower face. We've said goodbye. Piss off already, he suddenly shouted in a loud, angry voice, opening his door. What is it? What? asked both princesses when Prince Andre came out, having seen briefly the old man in a white dressing gown, spectacles and no wig, shouting angrily. Prince Andre only sighed in response. Well, he said, turning to his wife, and this well sounded cold and ironic as if he were saying, All right then, let's have it. Do your little performance. Already, Andre, said the little princess, turning pale and looking heartbroken at her husband. He took her in his arms. She screamed and passed out, unconscious, on his shoulder. Carefully, he extracted the shoulder from under her, looked into her face, and eased her slowly into an easy chair. Adieu, Mary, he said gently to his sister, taking her by the hand and giving her a kiss. He left the room, walking quickly. The little princess lay in the armchair, Mademoiselle Berene stroking her temples. Princess Mary was there too, supporting her sister-in-law, but her eyes watched the door that her brother had gone through, full of tears, and she made the sign of the cross in his direction. From the study, like gunshot blasts, came the sound of the old man angrily blowing his nose. Prince Andre had hardly been gone a minute when the study door flew open and the stern old man in his white dressing gown peeked out. Gone? You beaut, that's good, said he. He looked angrily at the passed-out little princess, scoffed and shook his head, then slammed the door. End of book one. There we go. We have reached the end of book one. Well done, folks. All right. Have your say about the chapter. Have your say about book one in general over at the subreddit. Thanks for listening, and I will see you tomorrow.